Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. The privilege to be here this morning, to be able to share with you about my journey with the gospel. My wife asked me yesterday, what are you going to talk about tomorrow morning? I said, Rick already asked me that question, and I told him I only have two topics at this stage in my life. That's the gospel and discipleship. That's, I'm, I'm kind of, that's what I'm zoned in on. Because that's where, that's where God has, am, am I on? Okay. Uh, that's where God has put me. That's what He's, that's the call on my life at this point in time. Rick and I were at a meeting out in Hartville, Ohio a month or two ago, and one of the guys in his message said, know what you're called to do and stay in your lane. And that's, that's the, the words that I wrote down from all of the messages that we heard. Know what you're called to do and stay in your lane. This is what I'm called to do at this stage in my life. I was a senior pastor for 22 and a half years. That's not what I'm called to at this point in time. I'm called to focus on helping people understand what the good news really is and how you walk it out in a life of discipleship. And I want to start with a story that I first heard as a child from my dad. My dad was a great storyteller. Uh, he loved to tell stories, and the, the most vivid memories I have of my dad are of hearing him sit in his chair, in his rocking chair, with a half dozen or more grandkids on the floor around him, on his lap, and sitting on the arm of his rocking chair and telling them stories. I remember one time I was I was reading a story to one of my kids, and they said, that's not the way it is. And I looked at the book and I had read it right. And I said, that's what the book says. And he said, that's not the way Grandpa tells it. So in his mind, if it was between Grandpa and the book, then forget the book. Because Grandpa tells the story right. And I, you know, it's weird what you remember and what you don't. But I remember this little story about this little guy, his name was Johnny, and every night he would he would give his mama a kiss and he would go get in bed and go to sleep. And about a half hour later, mama would hear a thump and Johnny had fallen out of bed. And so she would go in, pick him up and put him back in the bed. Night after night after night. And finally, one night, Johnny said to his, ask his mother, Mama, why do I keep falling out of bed? And she said, I don't know. Maybe you stay too close to where you got in. Now, through 36 years of ministry, I've wondered, why do people keep falling out of bed? Spiritually speaking. Because I've, I've noticed that a lot of people, now there are people who are, are initiators who get a hold of the truth and run with it. But there's so many people who seem to get stuck and they keep falling out of bed at the same place. 
night after night after night. The same things keep tripping them up. And I was just thinking, even as we were driving up here this morning, you know, there's the things that, what are the things that trip people up? You ever think about that? It occurred to me that the things that trip people up are most all of them are rooted in one of three things. And we read this all the way back in Deuteronomy 17 when God said to the Israelites, when you come into the land and you ask for a king, there's three things that that king is not to do. Any of you remember that story? What were the three things that he was not to do? This is a quiz. I'm a teacher, not a preacher. I like to give quizzes. She read this on the way, so that's why she knows. Acquire horses. Why? Why would, what's that about? Power. Many wives. What's that about? He's not to acquire many wives. What was that about? Uh, that's about sex. Okay? And what was the third one? Money. Gold and silver. Power. See, and power is really about control. People want power because it gives them control. And control means I get to choose what's going to happen here. And I'm going to make it come out the way I want it to come out. That's called control. Power, sex, and money. And it occurred to me, I mean, what have we talked about here at New Day in January and February? What was the other one? Money. Wow. Got one left. <laughs> no. No horses today. That's, that's just... The horses, I mean, think about it. If, if, if your army had horses, then they had a big advantage over, over the armies that didn't. Okay? So, and I've, I've come to the conclusion as I've observed people that most of the things that trip people up are rooted in one of those three things. And sometimes it's sad. I regularly now, about every six weeks, make a trip to southern Indiana to the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility to visit a man that I, that ministered with me for 16 years. Who's now, he's two years older than I am and he's sitting in the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility because he kept getting tripped up over the same thing. And he kept it hidden until it couldn't be hidden anymore. Now that's sad, man. Now, I'm thankful he's owned his sin and God is using him to minister where he is in the prison. But you understand what I'm saying. There are, th- there are so many things that keep tripping people up. And so that's one of the things that I'm, I'm the kind of person, I like to ask why questions. Why is this happening? God, what's going on here? And when I observe people getting tripped up, you know, and some people fall out of bed and they, like Johnny, they just, they keep getting back in. Some people fall out of bed and, and, and they, they give up. You know, and I was, 
as I was thinking about this, I thought of all the people that I've baptized through 36 years of ministry and how many of them, I have no clue what has happened to them. Some of them just disappeared. Why does that happen? Is that the way it's supposed to happen? I don't think so. And so, how do we understand that? And so, I've, you know, that's really where I've focused my, my journey over since 19, or since 2001 when I left the senior pastorate at Tri Lakes after 22 and a half years. And I left that for two reasons. Number one, um, I had, uh, I had other pastors wanting me to mentor and coach and oversee them and I wanted to do that. I wanted to take time to do that. But I also wanted to focus my, the rest of my life on understanding that question. Why do these things happen? Why is it that so many people really fail to come to maturity? Now that's an important question for me as a, as a pastor teacher. Because Ephesians 4 says that he, God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to grow people up. And so if, if that's not happening, something is wrong in, in what's going on. And I need to be able to look at that and I need to understand that. And after 22 and a half years, I left the pastor because I came to the conclusion that part of the problem was I didn't realize what business I was in. I thought my business was to grow the church. And I'd seen the church grow from 25 to 275. But there was a lot of people, there were people who were growing, but a lot of people were, were stuck. And if you talk to them, they tell you, I feel stuck. I'm, I'm stuck where I was. And then, you see, the, the proof that we were growing the church, but not growing, uh, people came in 95, 96 when all, it's like all the wheels came off and a hundred people walked out the door and uh, over a year, a hundred people walked out the door. Some of them I had ministered to for 17 years, and it threw me for a loop. It's like God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Something, something is not working the way it's supposed to work. And so I, I left the pastorate. I started Radical Restoration Ministries, and I started asking that question, and I started studying and observing, and learning. And what I want to focus on this morning, I call this my journey with the gospel. This verse from Acts 8.12 says, They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. Now, as I read the Gospels over and over and over, I read the phrase from Jesus that He came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. One time He was in Capernaum in Luke 4, and exciting things were happening there. There was a revival happening because uh, people were being healed. Demons were being cast out. Exciting things were happening. And the people said, Jesus, we want you to stay here. We like this. We want to keep this going. And he said, I can't do that because I have to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns and villages also because that is why I was sent. 
So one of the first conclusions that I came to as I, as I asked myself the question, why do, why do people keep falling out of bed, is that it goes as deep as the gospel we proclaim. The problem goes as deep as the gospel we proclaim. And why is it that we don't proclaim? Now, things have changed some since then. There's a whole lot more talk about the kingdom now than there was 10, 15 years ago. And some of it's healthy and some of it isn't. But we need to understand that. That was a question I was asking myself. If Jesus talked about the good news of the kingdom... See, I know what people think about what the good news is because as I traveled over around the church all all over North America back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, I asked people, tell me what the good news is. If I ask you that question, what would you tell me? Somebody. What's the good news? Good news means means gospel, okay? Jesus loves me. He does. That's true. You know what I heard? Ninety, at least 95% of the time. Jesus died for my sins. Okay? Now, is that good news? Absolutely, that's good news. But that's a very abbreviated version of the good news. This says that the people, the, not only did Jesus proclaim good news, but Philip and Paul and all the other writers in the New Testament proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. What is that really about? That's the second question that I ask people as I travel. Tell me about the kingdom of God. And you know what? Most people looked at me and said, I, I don't really, I don't really understand that. Now, the most interesting answer I got, or question I got, one time there was these two ladies showed up at our church. I I had not seen them before. One of them had her husband and two boys with them. And after the service, these two ladies came to me and said, we want to know what you believe. Could we come in and talk to you? I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So the next Wednesday night, these two ladies came in to talk to me. And I discovered... They both had been Jehovah Witnesses. And through their own Bible study, they began to have serious questions about that and they got out of it. And so Enza, one of them was was a little Italian lady named Enza, and she said, I've been in bondage once in my life. I don't want to be again. I need to know what you believe. Now, I like that kind of of an inquiry. I can talk about that a long time. But I started by talking about the kingdom of God because that's where Jesus started. And Enza got this funny little look on her face and I stopped and I said, what is that about? She said, I'm just surprised that you started with the kingdom. I said, why? She said, do you know that as a Jehovah Witness, we were trained when when we were witnessing to nominal Christians, we were trained to take them to the Gospel and start going through the Gospels and showing them all the references to the Kingdom of God and then ask the question, do they talk about that at your church? 
And she said, most of the time, the answer was, not really. And she said, that was our number one hook with nominal Christians was to ask them about the kingdom. So how many people have heard a gospel in this land that really didn't have anything to say about the kingdom? Okay. Now, I've been, you've probably heard of Revive Indiana that's been going on in Goshen. I've been there, Rick's been there, Gwen, Destiny, Lou and Kathy and a number of others have been down there. And there's some good things happening there. This is the, this is the Bible that they use to present the gospel. It's a New Testament and it's tabbed to six scriptures. And people are trained to use this to present the gospel. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but none of those scriptures address the kingdom of God. None of them talk about the church. None of them talk about the Holy Spirit. None of them talk about discipleship. Are those part of the good news? So is that, is that a problem? I, th- I think it's a problem. And I'm not saying anything to you. I don't say to those folks. I've addressed that. And I said, you know what? I, God is at work here. I'm excited about that. When, when 3,400 people show up on a Wednesday night in Goshen regularly, 3,000 to 2,500 to 3,500 people, God is up to something. So let's, let's proclaim, let's give them the real good news, okay? Now, I gotta get going here or I'm gonna run out of time. I have this quote from Dallas Willard in his book. Dallas Willard is one of the three or four people who've really shaped my thinking about all of this. He has a book called The Great Omission. Of course, it's, it's a play on words on the great commission. And he's saying the same thing in essence that we say. He says the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. Christian is found three times and was first introduced to refer precisely to disciples of Jesus in a situation where it was no longer possible to regard them as the sect of the Jews. The New Testament is a book about disciples by disciples and four disciples of Jesus Christ. For at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being Christian. One is not required to be or intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, Discipleship clearly is optional. Now, that's, that's true in a lot of places. Now, I want to tell you, one of the reasons I'm a part of New Day is that there is a focus on growing people up in discipleship here. And, and it, it feels right to me, and I love being here. And the kind of messages that we heard in January and February, those were awesome messages that connect truth to everyday life on subjects that most churches avoid. So I'm excited about that. Ron Klaus is a friend of mine. And in February of 2004, I had him speak to all of the guys 
and ladies that I oversee, coach or mentor, that I get together twice a year for a day and a half up at the Amigo Center north of Sturgis. And I had him talk about the kingdom of God because he has the most thorough teaching on the kingdom of anybody I know. And this is one of the things he said in February of 2004. We're talking about 15, no, 11 years ago. He said, whatever isn't explicit in the gospel that is presented to people will always be considered optional. Whatever isn't explicit, that means it's obvious in the gospel that is presented to people will always be considered optional. So, for example, people who, who hear the gospel by somebody taking them through these tabbed scriptures highlighted in the book, the kingdom of God is optional, discipleship is optional, the Holy Spirit is optional, the church is optional. You understand what I'm saying? Now, it's occurred to me just recently that another question has to do not so much with what's optional, but what your expectations are. And so here's my current question. Based on the gospel that was proclaimed to you, what were your expectations for life beyond the point of salvation? based on what was presented to you. What were your expectations? Reuben, what were your expectations? How would you describe a life that was more and more free of sin? More and more free of sin. Good. Now, how does that happen? That's the question, you see. Because here's another conclusion I came to along the way. You know, when I started pastoring in 19... 79, I was convinced that if I just preached the truth, people's lives would be changed. And guess what? That didn't happen. See, now I know that you can't just preach it. There has to be some setting where it gets connected to real everyday life. Or it just goes in here and out there. And I know that because I've asked people. I used to ask people when I'd get up on Sunday morning, somebody tell me what I talked about last Sunday. And the silence is deafening. And eventually I got, it was, I didn't want to ask the question anymore. See, if it just, you, there has to be some way in which you connect it to life. Or it just vanishes like the fog in the morning sun. And so that was another thing that I learned. What are the expectations? The gospel that was presented to you. What expectation did that create in your mind? Dallas Willard said, "We've in evangelical Christianity, we've reduced the gospel to two points. You pray a prayer, you go to heaven when you die. And most people have no clue how it connects to life between those two points. Hmm. Maybe that's why so many people fall out of bed so often. Is that they haven't been taught. You see, I went through a time when I thought the problem was people just didn't want to change. I don't believe that anymore either. Uh, there's, there's about, on average, about 16% of the population that really is just, they're not going to change. Regardless, they're not going to change. But do you know what that says? 84% are open to change. 84%. 
if they understand how it happens. And so it was out of asking that question, how does change really happen that I developed the World Changers Discipleship Training that we do here on Tuesday night? Because I want to help people answer that question. 84%, that's over 8 out of 10 people, are really open to change if they know how that happens. And so it behooves us to know how change happens. Well, my first, let's go back. I said that the, the problem goes at least as deep as the gospel we proclaim. So after I heard that about optional from Ron in 2004, my first attempt to help people understand the gospel of the kingdom was the book Integrated Lives, which I published in 2010. And in that, uh, in chapter, in chapter four, I present the good news. And in chapter five, how do you take hold of it? And to help people remember that, I've turned it into a declaration. And I want to go, I want to do that with you this morning. Can you, can you read what's on the screen? Or is it too small? Okay. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, take hold of the life that is truly life. We want people to take hold of it. That's an active word. And so, here's the declaration, and I'm going to read the, the, the heading, and I want you to read the, the scripture, or the, not scripture, the words below it, okay? So the first thing is we have to hear. Romans 10, 14. We have to believe, Romans 10, 9 and 11. That's what believe means, biblically, by the way, is to trust Him with your life. Receive. Okay, so we have to hear, we have to believe, we have to receive. Then there's three evidences. The first one is repent. Confess. And turn. Has to happen in that order, too, by the way. The only way people are able, are empowered to turn away from sin is to turn toward God first. And He empowers that. And finally, the public witness. Be baptized. Now we read we read the the uh, Nicene Creed as as a part of communion this morning. A creed is says this is what we believe. Okay, this is a declaration of what has happened for me. I have taken hold of this, 
And then the last part of it is, therefore, because of that, I confess. Now I can proclaim the good news of Jesus and His kingdom. First purpose, Ephesians 1. There was a problem. And God supplied the provision. And finally, people. Now, that's just my first attempt at trying to help people understand what the good news of the kingdom is and how they can share that with somebody else so that the things that are not optional are not considered optional, and so there's an expectation of something to come. There's an expectation that I can begin to walk in God's kingdom. Does that make a difference? Well, I think it makes a huge difference when I begin to understand that. Now, that's not the only way to, to proclaim it. That's one way. And I actually have another little booklet that I just wrote that came out of a conversation I had one night at Revive Indiana, talking to a friend of mine about why do we just address the sin issue? That's, that's what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. Okay. So the gospel is how we manage our sin. Well, it is that, but it's so much more than that. And so let's proclaim it. And so, out of that conversation, I wrote this little booklet. Now, those of you who were here Tuesday night, you got a copy of this. There's additional copies up here. So, every household, uh, if you didn't get one, if you weren't here Tuesday night, uh, when I'm finished today, you can come up and pick one up and take it with you. I just want to go over the outline. But what I said to my friend was, you know, I think instead of starting with, with the question of sin, since this is the good news of Jesus, why don't we start with what Jesus had to say. Does that make sense? Okay. So, that's I developed this little booklet just over the last three weeks. I call it Consider Jesus. Okay? Now, part one, in essence, part two of this book are the tabbed scriptures in this. And I did that intentionally. I want to show, I don't disagree with those tabbed scriptures. I just think they're overlooking something that should go first. Okay? So here's uh, part one. Is The first scripture is, Come to me. Read it for me. Come, the scripture.
Come to me, Jesus said, and you will find rest for your soul. Do you think people need to hear that word today? Do you think there's a lot of people on this planet whose souls are not at rest? They're restless and anxious people. And they need to hear that, listen, Jesus promised us if we would come to Him, He will bring rest for your soul. Was it last Sunday that Cameron talked about, Pastor Cameron talked about poverty spirit? Remember that? I came up to him afterward and I said, Cameron, it occurred to me because I had given him a copy of the booklet. The first scripture in the booklet is the opposite. It's the opposite of a poverty spirit. A poverty spirit says, I'm not going to have enough of whatever, whether it's money or whatever. This says, I can be at rest in my soul because God is going to take care of me and meet my need. So maybe, you know, he said there's so many Christians who have a poverty spirit. Maybe it's, it's connected in some way with the gospel they, they receive that doesn't say, listen, part of this is a rest for your soul. You can actually be at rest. That means you don't have to be anxious. So that's where I started. Second one was get to know me. Notice these scriptures are all in red. They're all the words of Jesus. Okay, read it for me. So what is eternal life? Based on what that says, what is eternal life? Knowing God and Jesus whom He sent. Knowing. That's an interactive relationship. Right, Destiny? Okay. Number three, enter my Father's kingdom. It's coming, and in fact, it's here, he said. Don't have time to talk more about that. Number four, welcome the Holy Spirit. Number five, make disciples as you go. And number six, join my family. Here, 
Is that good news, that when we come to faith in Christ, we become part of a family, a real, live family? So there's the sixfold invitation that Jesus gives to us. Come to me, get to know me, enter my Father's kingdom, welcome the Holy Spirit, make disciples as you go and join my family. That's the good news. Now, the second part is right out of here, and it's in essence how you embrace that, how you deal with sin, because you do have to deal with the sin issue in your life, or things are not going to work for you. So, the problem is not what's there, it's what's not there. Now, let's just go through these scriptures. The first one I titled, Accept Responsibility for Your Life. That's where change starts. Read it. Okay, that says all all have sinned. We've all we're all in the same boat. Yeah, there are people who have been victimized, but uh, everybody. That's what this says. All have sinned. So we're all responsible for our part of the issue. We live. You see, we live in a victim culture. Every, every that's what that's what people have been trained today. It's not my fault. Don't look at me. It's the way my parents potty trained me. It's the environment I grew up in. It's whatever. Don't look at me. Not my problem. Okay? So it starts when we accept responsibility for who we are and where we've been. Second, choose life. Now we choose life when we choose Jesus. But I want to tell you something. That is a continuing lifestyle. Every day we have the choices to make whether we're going to choose the way of life or whether we're going to choose the way of death. And we'll choose between things that will bring us closer to God or things that will take us away from God. Number three, embrace God's love in Christ. Number four, receive God's grace. Number five, confess and believe Jesus as Lord. And finally, this number six, ambassadors of a new creation. Now, all of those are the tab scriptures. I added one of my own to wrap it up. Walk out your new identity. We have a new identity in Christ. Now God has called us to walk it out. Read it with me. You walk in these ways, and the life you 
must live, but now we must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you may take on the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image Amen. Is that good news? That's good news. And it doesn't leave, I don't believe it leaves anything that's essential as optional. And I believe it raises an expectation within me that something can change. So, that's my journey with the Gospel. I'm still on it. And I'm still committed to understanding that and helping others understand it. And I'm still committed to helping people learn how change happens. That's what the Tuesday night World Changers School is all about. And if you're not a part of that and you're interested, we're off this week. You saw that in the bulletin. And then next week on Tuesday, we start a whole new course called Peer Coach Training. And it's, it's, we've, these last three courses are really designed to help you develop what I call kingdom life skills. We're, we're a one another church. New Testament, there are 22 one another's that we're supposed to be putting into practice. How do we help one another effectively? That's what peer coach training is. Most people don't know how to do that. They know how to give each other advice. So you have, you go to a small group that you're in and you say, you know, boy, here's what I'm really struggling with. And what you go home with is seven different opinions about what you should do about that. Is this real? And then what, what do you do with it? And, and when that's the case, it's like, what do I do with this? How do we help one another effectively instead of just giving them advice? That's what the course is about. You're welcome to join us 7 to 8.30 on Tuesday nights. Not this Tuesday, but the following. Let's pray. And then if you want a copy of this booklet... Pick one up before you leave. Thank you, Lord God, for this place, these people, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that you're, we can live in your kingdom. Yes, the fullness of it is coming, but we have the first fruits and it makes a huge difference. We're, in, in your kingdom, things operate differently. People get healed. Demons get cast out. People get filled with your spirit. They recover that shalom that we saw in the very beginning, that fourfold harmony with God, with themselves, with others, and with the physical creation itself. That's the expectation that we have. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for such an awesome good news that you've brought to us in Jesus' name. Amen.